Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Happy day after the Super Bowl. Hope everybody's doing well, and maybe some of you actually went to work today. Who knows? But it is a beautiful time to have a three martini on me and Jim Garrity. Uh, I'm Chad Benson in for Greg Columbus, and we do it. You know how we do it. We do it normally, good, bad, and crazy. Let's do the reverse today. Let's start with crazy. And Jim, up in the sky, uh, it's UFOs. I'm pretty this is it. This is the beginning. This is the way I th- think it starts. You know, Chad, uh, first, great to have you here. And yeah, for a while, I really felt like aliens would be the more reassuring answer. Um, because if either, you know, most likely China, I suppose the slim possibility of Russia had developed craft that we really hadn't had the ability to detect until a few months ago and that had been traversing our airspace and collecting data at that point, I'd prefer to be aliens because if it's the Chinese that were, uh, in deep doo-doo, uh, as of this recording, there have been three, uh, you know, us aircraft are shot down three different unidentified flying objects in three days. Um, who knows, perhaps by the time you hear this, there'll be a fourth one in four days. Um, now the, uh, I've heard contradictory information. Uh, Chuck Schumer was on one of the Sunday shows yesterday and he said that the second and third ones were balloons. I saw somebody else saying that actually, no, they weren't balloons. Um, one of the things that kind of jumps out about this is in, uh, today's New York times, they're quoting a, uh, Melissa Dalton, the assistant secretary of defense for Homeland defense, who said, quote, We have been more closely scrutinizing our airspace at these altitudes, including enhancing our radar, which may at least partly explain the increase in objects we've detected over the past week, unquote. So in other words, before last week, we weren't really looking all that hard up at the upper atmosphere after the Chinese uh, spy balloon that was shot down off the coast of South Carolina. We're looking a lot harder, and lo and behold, we're finding more things that we are responding to. Chad, I don't know about you, but I get the feeling that, look, what we've seen with these three items shot down over Alaska, then over Canada, and then over Michigan, I think the spin that the initial Chinese spy balloon was really no risk to the U.S. and absolutely nothing to be concerned about, and also, oh, by the way, we shot it down the first time, the moment it was over water, uh, indicates that spin is inoperative. Uh, I think the Biden administration realizes it screwed up. I think the uh, message for the public is that they are very concerned about this. We're look, we're used to having two giant oceans and no real concern about another country flying stuff over our heads. And then all of a sudden, one day it was happening. I, I have a sneaking suspicion. We only know about it because the Billings Gazette had a photo of it and printed it. Um, and that apparently maybe we were, you know, maybe we were tracking these things, but not really responding to them for quite some time. Now that the public's learned about it, the public is, uh, you know, concerned slash outraged about it. Well, now the Biden administration is taking a much tougher line. Um, we'll probably know more when we recover more of the, uh, debris from these craft, but, um, it kind of feels deeply concerning and it does feel like the administration is playing catch up here. Yeah, it is. It's it's a bit uncomfortable because, you know, that when you hear what's happening and you get four different stories and and I think the problem is now you got to be transparent. But how transparent are you? But when you hear four different stories, I saw, you know, read some stuff and, and heard some stuff from the pilot saying, look, this thing was octagon and it wasn't as big as much bigger than a car. It messed with, you know, my my radar. So my instruments, there was no pro- 
you know, uh, you know, anyway, this thing should be propelling and, and moving forward. It was really weird. It, it, it's just it, like, are we falling so far behind or is this maybe some of our stuff that we haven't told anybody about and uh, we shot it down? <laughs> yeah, actually, I, as you're mentioning that, Chad, I'm suddenly reminding of uh, Sputnik and this sense that we in the United States are used to being the most technologically advanced country in the world. We're used to being the best. We're used to being the first. And the idea that somebody out there has figured out how to do something that we may or may not already know how to do, i.e. let's create and let's say it's an octagonal drone of some kind or something like that that has some sort of jamming ability or something. Like we have good reason to be disturbed by that. We have good reason to fear that that could have some sort of serious military application. And that if God forbid a couple of years from now, you know, China decides to invade Taiwan and wants to do damage to us in order to take us out, Something like that would come in very handy, something that could invade U.S. airspace without being detected. So um, deeply concerning. And that's and, you know, the fact that uh, the fact that space aliens are the more reassuring answer is why we made that the, the crazy martini today. This is the three martini lunch. Uh, Chad Benson in for uh, Mr. Columbus will be back on Thursday. Let's go to the bad. And if you're an American, probably if you're any kind of, of Western uh, citizen, you should probably think about getting out of Russia ASAP. Yes. On the one hand, this isn't exactly something new. Uh, the U.S. urged its citizens to leave Russia after days after the invasion. And then there was another security warning in September. But on Monday, uh, the you know State Department has issued what they call a top-level advisory telling American citizens to leave Russia immediately. And I think what, was, what jumps out about this one is they've specifically said, cited the potential for harassment and the singling out of U.S. citizens for detention by Russian government security officials, arbitrary enforcement of local law, limited flights, and the embassy's limited ability to assist U.S. citizens in Russia. Also, interestingly, it mentioned the possibility of terrorism. Um, look, this comes after the swap of Victor Boot for the uh, basketball star Brittany Griner. We know what's going on there. We've seen this with lots of hostile regimes, that when they want leverage over the U.S., they grab an American citizen, throw him in some hellhole prison make up some charges, deny them counsel, put on some sort of sham trial, and then it becomes up to the U.S. government to get the person out. Now, I assume that there probably aren't that many Americans left in Russia, and obviously we need to have a certain amount of diplomatic staff there. I'm sure there are U.S. news organizations that have you know uh, correspondence over there because we want to inform the public about what's going on over there. I'm sure there are nonprofit groups, and maybe there are even still some business groups over there, although I think you know, sanctions probably uh, pretty dramatically reduced that. But if you're walking around, if you're an American in Russia right now, you you are an easy target. You are a good chance for them to get a bargaining chip and for the Russia to extract some sort of uh, concessions from the U.S. And considering how the war is going for Russia, it's not surprising that they would want to have greater leverage over the U.S. So, um, you know, it's not a necessarily the newest thing, but I think that this they felt the need to make that statement suggests to me the U.S. fears that something like this is going to happen again. There's going to be some sort of effort to arrest U.S. citizens, who knows, maybe a whole bunch of them, and then use them as a bargaining chip with the U.S. in some other arena. You know, as we sit there and talk about this, I, I wonder to myself, if you're told this, and and look, you should have known this from the time they took Brittany Griner, from the time they invaded and sanctions went on, this may not be the most welcoming place for anybody from the West, whether you're from France or Britain or Germany or any of these places. But now it's like, okay, guys, we're totally serious. Get out of there. What happens if they do snatch somebody? Are we all supposed to feel sorry for somebody who didn't heed any of the warnings? 
you know, yeah. I mean, look, you know, my, but in my sense, that is poor judgment. Now, the question is, you know, does it, I, I don't think the appropriate consequence for really poor judgment is to be thrown in some sort of god-awful hellhole prison and God knows what kind of abuse you suffer in there. So uh, I don't think necessarily the consequences uh, are, are, you know, commensurate to the bad judgment there. Um, but also, yeah, it, you know, each time somebody does something like this and, and refuses not to leave the country thinking, oh, it won't happen to me. Uh, they have then weakened the U.S. position by putting themselves in, in a spot where they end up becoming a bargaining chip. We've gone through the crazy, and that was tasty. They've gone through the bad. That was also very, very nice. Now let's get to the good. I'm with you on this, talking about the crowded GOP field, because I think you look and stuff, and I think a lot of people are worried that, you know, we're going to get this, we're going to get so many people, a plurality, and Trump will probably win that with 29 or 30% of, of the vote when it comes to who, who might run for president. I think the strongest should should go out there, and everybody should get their ducks in a row. But I do like the fact that you're talking about Tim scott and the the opportunity here for for him to maybe make a run which i think would be fantastic yeah so i have not endorsed anyone in the 2024 republican primary field it's very early but i did write a piece in the op uh, in the op-ed section of the washington post last fall that basically made the argument that look uh ron DeSantis would be a return to normalcy for uh the republican party it would be good for conservatives it would be good for moderates and you could even point to some advantages to liberals if they mean what they say when they say that Donald Trump is a you know unique threat to American democracy, et cetera, et cetera. The fact that they're saying, well, actually, Ron DeSantis is even worse than Trump demonstrates that whoever is the most popular Republican is always uh, the worst person in the history of the world. Um, so, look, I, I think, you know, at this point, it still seems like a two-man race. And if you have more and more non-Trump Republicans jumping in, it is more likely that Trump will end up becoming the nominee by winning the largest plurality. Now, that said, a bunch of these Republicans who are throwing their hat in the ring, I, I think pretty well of. I think they have consider, uh, records that are very much worthy of consideration. They could be good presidents. Uh, Nikki Haley sounds like she's going to, you know, it's going to become official soon. Chris Sununu has taken some steps. Um, you could throw in Pompeo and Pence and all these other folks. But I, I really, you know, Tim Scott is somebody I've liked for a really long time. I suppose I should say in so, somewhat full disclosure that my uh, parents are Former, I guess, former and current constituents of him back when he was in the house. Um, they've, you know, a, a modest uh, relationship with him, uh, met him at events and stuff like that. And uh, they're big fans of him. And and he's said nice things about them in the past. But I think even if I didn't, you know, have that connection, I think I like Tim Scott a lot anyway. I think he's just charismatic and he's got this great life story. Um, and I kind of noticed that you don't see a lot of Tim Scott foes within the Republican Party. This is a figure who has managed to build bridges and get along well with almost every faction in the Republican Party. And that's not something you see very often. Um, so this is kind of this curse of this cycle that I want uh, not to have a crowded field. I, I don't want to have a rerun of 2016. And yet you keep having one good Republican after another say, I want to run in there. So there's no point in trying to chase these people out too early. On the other hand, I do hope that if these people are getting, you know, 5% after Iowa and New Hampshire, that they recognize that, okay, it's time to get out. That having been said, I hope the party gives Tim Scott a long, hard look. And uh, even if he isn't the nominee, I think he'd make an exceptionally, uh, a very appealing choice as a potential running mate for whoever gets the nomination. You know, you talk about Jim and I was reading another, you know, article today about him. And I know that he's, I think, testing the waters. And I wonder how much of that is 
him who's got this vision for this or a lot of other people that, you know, are putting stuff in his ear going, man, you know, you, you really have a chance here because you, you talk about it, his life story is amazing. He also has a good working relationship across the aisle. This is not a guy. And, and he, you know, when I think the media would have a real tough time, let's be honest, going after him and criticizing him in a lot of ways they can with the Ron DeSantis's and the Trumps who, you know, they like to make out as this big, evil, grand, you know, monster. Just, you know, DeSantis is the new one. I think they'd have a tougher time with Tim Scott. I think that's uh, an accurate assessment there, Chad. And I'm also kind of wondering, you look at, you know, not quite recent history, but not so distant history. The experience of Rick Perry, uh, who jumped in late uh, Chris Christie, who ran in 2016, when there was a lot of buzz around him in 2012. Um, you look at the the second time around for the likes of Rick Santorum and Mike Huckabee. Uh, generally, you know, you got to strike when the iron is hot. And if there is a lot of buzz around you to run for president, four years later, it may not be there. Four years later, you may not be the flavor of the month. You may not be the exciting new choice. Four years from now, people might be kind of tired of you. Um, I'm not hearing a lot of buzz around, say, Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz or any of the also-rans from 2016. So I think if you're Tim Scott, maybe you're looking at it, you're hearing these things and saying, you know what? If I don't run in 2024, circumstances could be completely different in 2028. And so we'll see what happens there. I do think, by the way, the, the existence of Nikki Haley uh, or Nikki Haley and Tim Scott both running and both representing the state of South Carolina. Uh, South Carolina being one of the four early states. And in the past cycle, South Carolina has been very decisive uh, in a bunch of Republican presidential primaries. Um, I think it, it complicates life for each one of them that they're both in there. Um, I think that, you know, they're competing. I think their ideological profiles are pretty similar. Um, I, you know, I, I we'll, we'll see how things shake out, but I think there's a part of them where like each, each one would prefer the other one isn't in there. And oh, by the way, one of the ironies is that, you know, uh, Nikki Haley was the one who appointed Tim Scott to the Senate seat when Jim DeMint resigned to head up the Heritage Foundation all those years ago. Interesting indeed. We gave you a crazy. We gave you a bad. We gave you a good. Uh, Jim Garrity with you as always. I'm Chad Benson. You can follow me at Chad Benson Show. Greg will be back later on this week. Jim, people want to get a hold of you and read all your stuff. What do they do? Well, uh, at National Review, um, both writing the morning jolt and contributing to the corner there. Uh, actually, I have a post, a piece in the Washington Post today looking at China in the 2024 Republican primary. And, of course, I'm on Twitter, at Jim Garrity. Fantastic. Always good. Three martinis. Enjoy, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>